2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. It's been a little while since we were in our study of 2 Peter in the morning. A lot to do with our uh, December calendar. And then, of course, my family was away. And then last week the Lord had burdened me concerning looking in Galatians at the crucifixion. Now today we will uh, get back, if you will, to the study of Second Peter. And there's, there's a sermon's worth of wrapping up where we've been and a sermon's worth of introduction and then a sermon's worth of message. The good news is, if you're sitting near a teenager, they have lunch with them. And so uh, you can, you know, when it gets to, if it gets to 12.30, you have my permission to reach over and grab their sandwich or their apple or whatever you can get a hold of. No, we, we won't be that long. But we will probably be in this passage, um, even into the introduction, if you will, of this passage for a couple of weeks. Um, as we begin this morning, I want, to, uh, I want to begin this morning with an invitation. And the invitation is this. If, if, you're, if you're here and you want to be the person that you believe God wants you to be, as God reveals that, and you're aware that it requires His power, and you're willing to be shown from his word how to, the difference between Abraham's life, if you will, and Lot's life. We're going to see that, I believe, this morning. Really, even as we get to the introduction, we're going to see together the difference between Abraham's life and Lot's life. Father, I do not know the hearts of those that are listening, but I'm thankful that you do. Lord, this message, you have given me this message. For those who are your children, who are aware that we live in a wicked world, and they don't want to live like Lot. They do want to live like Abraham. Lord, trusting you at your word. Lord, help us. Help us to see from the very passage that has been already read this morning, this this first chapter and a half, if you will, of this very short book here in Second Peter. Lord, help us to see. Please help us to say yes. Father, there's no power in nodding our head. Lord, we have to agree in our heart. We have to cry out for it. We have to recognize that we need it. And so, Lord, I ask you that you'd bless us with these things. You accomplish this, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just quickly, let me just say quickly, we are in 2 Peter, and 2 Peter has a central message. And we don't have, I'm not going to go back over all of the things, but 2 Peter, in 2 Peter, God promises that you can have healthy growth. In, if you go back to Hebrews, and we don't have time to go all the way through, so I'm just going to say it quickly. So you have Hebrews, and then the book of James, and then first and 2 Peter. So Hebrews begins what is, what is commonly known as the general epistles, Hebrews. That's where it begins. And Hebrews shows us 
that we have, those of us that have trusted Christ, that we have a great high priest, that we have one who ever lives to make intercession for us, but we have one who is able to pour out into our lives a whole new quality of life. He has the power not only to go on your behalf before God, but to come out on God's behalf unto you and to pour out the blessings that God wants you to have. This is all pictured through the priesthood in the Old Testament, but it's pictured through the priesthood in the Old Testament. What we have is the real deal. What we have is what we need. Listen, I am not your priest. The deacons are not your priest. Jesus is your priest. There's only one that can go boldly into the Holy of Holies. Now, because he has taken his blood in there, you and I can go into the Holy of Holies. But only because of him can we go. And only because of him can God the Father, who wants to bless us, pour out a blessing upon us. Because, see, God couldn't give us a blessing until he dealt with sin. And if God was going to approach you and I, he'd have to approach us in our sin without Christ. And you, listen, this is why I ran away from God for 22 years. I knew I was a sinner. I knew there was a God. I just didn't want to meet him. Until somebody said, no, no, you don't understand. God loves you. And he's on your side. Now, why would God be on my I still don't understand, by the way, other than God is love. That's the only answer that I have for that question. Why would God love me? And the answer is because that's who he is. See, we're not like that, so we don't understand it. You have to do something to earn my favor, if you understand what I'm saying. If you want me to be good to you, you ought to do something good for me. Amen? That's how we are. But, that's, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you tell me who's worthy. You tell me who deserves the praise. You tell me who deserves the honor and the glory. And it ain't us. So that's, that's Hebrews. So in Hebrews, God promises us a whole new life. A whole new life. By himself, he purged our sins. And now he gives us a whole new life. Then you come to the book of James. And this is what you find out in the book of James. God wants you to have, God promises that you will have, if you want to, God promises that you will have that whole new life in your everyday life. Boy, as a baby Christian, I was so excited about the whole new life. But i got to be honest with you, I had that whole new life about once a week. Do you understand what I'm saying? I had that whole new life. I was careful to at least portray that I had that whole new life, especially on Sunday. But there's a big difference between knowing that you have a whole new life and walking in a whole new life. So the book of James promises us, listen, your lusts are what ruin your life. So be honest about it. Be honest that your lusts destroy you and everybody around you, and I will conquer those lusts in your life, and I will give you daily a whole new life. Then we go from that to 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, he tells us that there's going to be, boy, I'm telling you, you're going to, because you live in a wicked world, it's going to be difficult. But I promise you joy unspeakable and full of glory in your everyday life. See, your everyday life isn't, listen, I'm so sorry for the Christian that is just trying to get through their everyday life. God is not interested in you just getting through 
to the next week. So many churches are full with such activity on Sunday just so that people can make it to Wednesday. And then they have enough things going on on Wednesday so they can make it to Sunday. That is not the Christian life. God does not want you to just get through the week. He wants you to have joy unspeakable and full of glory in your everyday life. Then we come to 2 Peter. And what he says in 2 Peter is this. I promise that you'll grow. Where you are now, that you will, listen, John talked about it this morning, that you will realize that as you walk with God, there will be continued healthy growth in your life. And by the way, healthy growth is an important part of 2 Peter. Growth is not good growth unless it's healthy growth. We've all seen this. You can, you can feed the wrong things to plants and they will look like they're doing great till they die. But that's because they didn't have healthy growth. So I don't, we don't really have the time, but let's look back just a little bit at Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. And this is what I want you to notice. What he says is this. In verse, well, let's just look. It's, oh, man. Well, we got weeks, right? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. It's a good chance I'll be preaching next Sunday morning. So. so we have grace and peace being multiplied, right? All of us who have obtained like precious faith. So this book is to those who have obtained like precious faith. If you're here this morning and you've not obtained like precious faith, if you've not trusted Christ for your salvation, then what I'm saying this morning isn't actually for you, but it can be if you'll just trust Christ. But if you're here this morning, stop trying to do this and let God do it. See, this is the promise. The promise that God gives is if this is not what's happening, be honest. So that he can make it happen in your life. You do not have the power to have the normal Christian life. You have the power to have the average Christian life. And the average Christian life is weak and selfish. But the normal Christian life is Hudson Taylor's life. It's Amy Carmichael's life. That's the life that God wants for you. And what God promises is, if you'll let him, what he says is this, obtain like precious faith, this is what he says, to those, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. And I love that. I need grace and peace to be multiplied to me. Okay, then he, then he says how? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. What you're going to find is this, you cannot grow without the Bible. You cannot grow without the Bible. Do you understand? You cannot grow through Facebook. You cannot grow through tweets. You cannot grow through television. You can only grow through the Word of God. Now, you can grow unhealthy through those other things, but you can only grow in a healthy way through the Word of God, through a knowledge of God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord through the Word of God. My preaching and teaching is not enough. My preaching and teaching is only here to provoke you to pick up your own Bible and to get in a quiet place alone with God and let him show you how wonderful he is. Amen? Church, the assembling of ourselves together, is about how great Jesus is through the word of God, that we would provoke one another unto love and good works. But where does that actually come from? And the answer is it comes through the power of God through his word. 
It comes from the power of God through the word of God. Not the opinions of preachers and teachers, though they should have good opinions and they should uh, say things that are helpful, but they should put you in the word of God. That's what, that's what this says. Now, then it says, and we have this, uh, verse 3, according as his divine power. Now, stop and think about that. Really, really think about that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to liken this. I was gonna, I'm going to liken this to a car engine. I don't know how many. Does anybody know the difference between like a 2.3 liter and a 5 liter engine? Anybody understand the difference? It's significant, okay? It's significant. Does anybody understand the difference between having a, a, a truck that has real torque and a truck that just has tires on it? Okay? There's a real difference. Well, what God is saying here is this. According as His, now I want you to think about what this is. His divine power. Not your pretense. There are too many Christians who are living on their pretense when they go to church. But you don't have to live on your pretense anymore. You don't have to come on Sunday and smile in a plastic way. Because if you're a new creature, then you have his divine power. I have no idea what that means. I really don't have any idea what that means. It's, I, I tell you this, it's more powerful than the sun. It's more powerful than all of the stars put together. I have no idea what that means. But I'll tell you this, this is what God says. The power of God, the divine power of God is given to us, his children, right? To all of those who have obtained like precious faith, the power, the divine power, his divine power is on display in your life. And I wonder if anybody can see it. Verse 4 says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises they are so great and they are so precious that we don't even believe them really they are so remarkable that we say i can't have that i don't deserve that you didn't deserve salvation you don't deserve any good thing you don't once you realize that once you understand that it's all of grace once you understand that everything that's happening in your life that is good is God doing it. Once you realize that you're not helping him, you are probably only hindering him. Once you realize that, then the power of God will begin to work in your life. Exceeding great and precious promises. That by these, according to the promises. Now, by the way, let me stop here for just a minute. Where do we get the exceeding great and precious promises? Where do you get them? I know I've said this before, I, I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you how many Christian parents have come to see me when their teenagers are 20-something years old and say to me this, we were promised if we did such and such and such and such that our children's lives would turn out different than they did. And this is the question that I ask them, who promised you that? And their answer is always one of two people, either a pastor or a teacher in a Christian school. And my answer, my, my answer to them is this, well, what does God say about this? And their, and their response is, we don't know. And that's the problem right there. Where do you get the exceeding great and precious promises? Well, not from the pulpit. Although, Lord willing, from this pulpit, you'll hear them. But it doesn't matter what I promise you. It matters you what God promises you. So where do you get exceeding great and precious promises? And the answer is from the Word of God. So you've got to open your Bible. But you can't open your Bible and pick and choose what you want. It's got to be in the context of what it actually says. And by the way, God is not hiding the context. God is not turning this into some cryptic thing where you've got to twist twice to the left and twist twice to the right. And if you just figure it out, maybe you'll have a blessing in your life. Now, that's the genie that does that. 
You understand? What God says is this. Just read my word. It'll be right there on the surface. Something Frank said so many years ago that really helped me was this. God does not want you to be today where I am today because I am today where I am today. God wants you to be honest about where you are today. And he will meet you there. Boy, did that help me a great deal. See, stop trying to be somebody else. Come to God and say, this is where I actually am. This has made such a big difference in my life. Ironically, you think I would have learned this long before I became a pastor, but I didn't. When I stopped having to worry about what anybody else thought and just be honest about what was actually going on in my own heart. And again, if I'll be honest with God, it's easy to be honest with you. Because once you're honest with God, there's nobody else that really, I mean, if you're more embarrassed about what somebody else thinks than what God thinks, you got a problem. Once you, but once you're honest about who you are to God, you can say to other people, listen, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. But let me tell you more about how great my Jesus is. Amen? That's what he's saying right here. He's saying that his divine power is going to make you partakers. That's what it says in verse 4. Partakers of the divine nature. You want to be Christ-like? Then let the power of God be at work in your life. Now, I said I wasn't going to do this. So here's what he says. You've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. This is, a, this is important. Because according to the news, according to any news, according to all the news, this world is trapped in lust right now. Now listen, please understand what lust is. When we, when we use the word lust, we typically use the word lust simply having to do with sexual sins. But lust just simply means strong desire. It often includes sexual sin, but lust simply means I want this too much. I want this too much. And I will work, I will be dishonest with myself and with everybody around me and try to twist my life until I get this. Now we saw in James that it's because of our lust that we fight with each other. Now, why does that happen? Why do we fight with each other? And here's why. I'll just use Kenny and I. I'm not sure what Kenny's lusts are, but there's a pretty good chance that his lusts and my lusts are not going to line up. And so what's going to happen is the more he wants what he wants and the more I want what I want, the more we're going to be at conflict with each other because we're actually going to interfere with one another's lusts. Amen? By the way, this is why the church is so remarkable. Because the church is a bunch of people, all of whom have different lives, who all have one purpose. And it's no longer ours. This is, this is majestic. When you can see a group of people gathered together, assembled together, and all they want is what God wants. That's a miracle. That's a powerful, powerful miracle. And by the way, I, this is something we desire here at Tidewater Baptist, but it's not something that we have all of the time. It's probably not something that we have absolutely ever. But this is why we have to forgive one another. This is why we have to recognize that like I'm growing in the grace and knowledge of my Lord Jesus, so are they, so are you, so is he, so is she, so are their children. We're all growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And once you again, once you realize that I can give them the same space that I'm so thankful God is giving me, then God can work in all of our lives at the same time. And all we have is one common desire, and that is this, that God be glorified and that everybody receive the good that God wants to give them. Amen? It's very simple. So then he says, now, you've escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Now, this all being true, that's where verse 5 begins, this all being true, giving all diligence. So now, make this the point, he's saying, 
Add to your faith. In other words, you trusted Christ, so now add to your faith. Vir- I don't have time to prove it. I don't have time to go through all this, right? Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance. You can go back and find these and listen to these. And to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. So here's what he's saying. If you will grow like you should, it starts with, it starts with faith. It starts with trusting God. The next thing is the big chunks of terribleness in your life which is what virtue replaces they just go away no more drunkenness no more adultery no more these things they're just gone i don't want these things anymore i so much don't want them they make me sick and they hurt me when they're and when, when there's anything like this in my life at all amen that's wonderful that that's true but it doesn't make you righteous the blood of christ makes you righteous that righteousness makes you no longer want to have sin in your life do you understand we preach this wrong we preach this wrong. We get saved, and we want everybody to behave like God is convicting us to behave. Just behave like God wants you to. And give them the gospel, and let the Holy Ghost do for them what he does for you. Do you understand? Don't get it mixed up. Don't try to get the little kids to behave a certain way so they can be saved. Tell them they need to be saved so they can behave a certain way. This is what God is saying. Add to your faith virtue. First you trust Christ. Then there's a change in your life. And then after this change, by the way, they're in order, and it does matter. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Just keep reading the Word of God. And to your knowledge, tem- we don't, temperance. <laughs> temperance. Temperance, you would think that I would have not had to have been saved for over 15, 20 years before I realized how little temperance I had in my life. Temperance is the ability to no longer erupt when you're upset. Anybody have a problem with that ever? Yeah, yeah. By the way, well, I'm not going to tell you percentages, but there are a lot more men than women that raise their hand. Women, you want to know what your problem is? You'll never let anything go. (laughs) Men will throw it at you as hard as they possibly can, but then they don't have it anymore because they threw it, right? That's God, what God wants to do is he wants to conquer these things in our lives. So add to your knowledge temperance or temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity and the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned if god is doing these things in your life he will continue to bring you closer and closer and closer to love being what your life is really truly about not tolerance there's a difference love where you selflessly care about the good of others, where it's no longer about you or what anybody thinks about you. I just want to. Here, let me say this. Let me say this. this is really important you understand this. If you really will walk with God and you'll have a burning desire to help others, you will find that some people will not be helped. You will. Don't get angry with them. Don't discard them. Don't worry. If there's time for discarding, they'll discard you. Just keep loving them. Just keep trying to help them. But don't let your virtue go away to love them. Do you understand? Walk with God as you should while loving them. And here's what you'll find. If they don't want to walk with Jesus, they will not walk with you. No matter how kind you are to them, they will say, "Uh, I want to keep my stuff. Really what they want to keep is their sin. I want to keep my sin. And you have to say this. If you're going to keep your sin, your life is going to be miserable. And I'm not going to stop loving you, but I'm not going to hang out with you in your sin. 
right? I'm not doing these things anymore. They're just not part of my life anymore. It has nothing to do with me being better than you. It has to do with Jesus changing my heart. And I promise you he'll change yours if you'll let him. Amen? That's what he's saying right here. All right. Now, I promised you that we were going to look at the difference between Abraham and Lot. So we're going to. The last thing I'm going to say about chapter 1 is this. Peter says in verse 16, well, what Peter says is, I'm going to keep telling you this till I die. And then after I'm dead, I want you to remember this. That's, I love this. Boy, it makes preaching simple, doesn't it? I want you to know how great Jesus is. I'm going to keep telling you how great Jesus is until I die. And then after I'm dead, I want you to know how great Jesus is. That's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember that you can have healthy growth if you'll just trust Jesus. I'm going to keep saying until I die, and then after I die, that's what I want you to remember. If you want to write anything, you know, it's funny, my daughter Rebecca and I were talking about uh, she said something about me picking something up quick out of the kitchen. Would you get that quick? And I said, Lee. It's a, it's a, it's a joke in my family. Nobody knows how to use adverbs in my family for some reason. And so they're going to put on my tombstone, he died quick. And then somebody's going to write in black magic marker, Lee. Anyway. What you, want, what you want to be the truth about your life after you're gone is that when people think of you, they'll think about how wonderful Jesus is. So just think about how, and how powerful he is. That they will have seen that on display in your life, and that because of what he's done in your life, they will have trusted him themselves. And they will say, I'm so, I'm so thankful for Bob Bornflett. I'm so thankful for a man who just walked with God. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't, he wasn't an evangelist. He wasn't a missionary. He was a sailor. He was an uh, engineer in the Navy. And when I met him, he was a godly man who walked with God. When, and this is in the 70s, when we weren't walking, no, the 80s actually, when we weren't walking. You talk about an ungodly time in America. Go back and look at the, man, we, you talk about a terrible time. Let's hope that never comes back around again. Amen. He walked with God in a very ungodly Navy, and it changed my life. And it, but it didn't change my life because he thought he was better than I was, but because he knew he wasn't better than I was. But he knew that Jesus was better than both of us. And because of that, when I needed someone, I talked to him. And he told me about Jesus. And I said, I don't want to talk about religion. He said, that's okay, neither do I. And he told me about Jesus some more. So what he says here is this. We've not followed. What he says is this. When I'm done, I want you to know that we didn't trick you into this. We didn't follow cunningly devised fables. This is not a, a story. We are telling you about the power of God. We've seen it. We were on the Mount of Transfiguration. We were eyewitnesses, and we're telling you. But I love what he says after that. He says this, and we have also a, you need to circle this in your Bible, more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that you take heed. Okay, a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed. You must trust the word of God. <laughs> you understand? That's the difference. You must trust the word of God. You must trust the word of God. It's wonderful that I can testify to what Jesus has done in my life. But my testimony could be wrong or confusing. Do you understand? In other words, people love to use their testimony as an evidence of their salvation. Your testimony isn't an evidence of your salvation. Your faith in Christ is an evidence of your salvation. If, you're, if, you're, if your life doesn't line up with what the word of God says, I don't care how many miraculous, wonderful, funny, strange things. I can't tell you how many times people, I should have been killed a long time ago. That proves that Jesus loves me. God, he does love you. He loves everybody. But it doesn't mean that you're saved. 
right? What does the Bible say about your salvation? Where are you studying? Where are you getting your growth from? And it needs to be from the Word of God. That's what he says. That's the end of this. Then he says this. Now, it's important that you understand that historically, I'm not saying this, he's saying this, it's important that you understand that the Word of God was not given of any private interpretation. In other words, people didn't write this. It says in verse 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So your Bible is from God. God the Holy Ghost gave your Bible to you. You understand? You can trust your Bible. Why? Because Moses didn't write it. The Holy Spirit wrote it. Moses just was the person that penned it. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's like if somebody gives dictation, we don't care. I mean, let's just, you know, we can just do this again. So Kenny says, Pastor, could you write this for me? And so I write. He literally wouldn't ask me because my handwriting is terrible. But so I write, and you read what I wrote. And you say, this is, this is Pastor Pearson's handwriting. I recognize it. It's like, yes, but I'm not the author. I just wrote what he said. Amen? That's what they did. That's what happened. That's what you can trust. When you trust your Bible, you're not trusting the best efforts of man. If you think that, by the way, if you really believe that the Word of God is just the best efforts of some men, you've got nothing. You've got nothing. I mean, listen, you've got nothing. If you believe that the Bible is just what men can do so that you can know God, you cannot know God that way. Your Bible is either from God or it's not, one or the other. If it's not from God, you've got nothing. But it is from God, praise the Lord. And this is what he's saying. Now, what he's going to say, right now, that brings us to chapter 2, right? So that's kind of the introduction. So chapter 2, verse 1 says this. But there, were all, but there were false prophets also among the people. So in other words, while there was the word of God, while there was the truth, there was also people teaching things that weren't true. Even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord which bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Now, we've already looked at this, so we're not going to look at it again this morning. But here's what it's saying, just summing it up. Because of false teaching, church is spoken of lowly in America. And it is. And here's what they say. What they say that is wrong, they're right about. It is wrong. But it's not the Bible. Do you understand? Do you understand? That's why it matters what you believe. Now, after that, after that, he's going to say, let's look at it for just a moment. It says in verse 4, for if God spared not the angels. So what he's going to do now is he's going to give a, a history lesson. A history lesson of how God has dealt with those that lie, with those that, that propagate false teaching. And the first thing he's going to do is say angels. When angels chose not to believe the truth but to lie, he cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And he spared not the old world. But saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now, I don't want to stop here for a long time, but I want you to understand that for a hundred years, Noah preached, we're in big trouble. But God loves us and wants to rescue us. Please get in the ark. Please get in the ark. Before the flood comes and kills everybody, please get in the ark. And they didn't get in the ark. And then they die. God is not willing that any should perish. God wants to rescue everybody, but you've got to humble yourself and acknowledge that you deserve the judgment. 
And if you'll just do that, God will rescue you from that judgment. You do deserve the judgment. God is not trying to make you look bad. You are bad. He's trying to rescue you from that. That's what he's saying. Now, this, so, so what he says is this. He is able to rescue while dealing with those who won't be rescued. It says in verse 6, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample of those who, should, who after should live ungodly. He condemned Sodom and Gomorrah for their ungodly lifestyle, and he destroyed them. Now, we don't have time to go back to this. You can look at it. I'm just going to tell you where it is. Genesis chapter 18. So in Genesis chapter 18, by the way, Genesis chapter 18, we're going to see the difference between Abraham and Lot. This will be it. I'll, I'll go through this quickly, and we'll be done today, and we'll come back. When God said to Abram to leave his idolatry, to leave the, 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 the way he was living his life, Abram said, okay, I'll leave my idolatry, and I'll just follow you. God, the living and true God, said, stop worshiping rocks and sticks, follow me, and I'll show you the truth. And he said, I will follow you. And guess what? Lot said, I'll come too. That's what Lot said, I'll come too. I'll, I'll follow Jehovah also. I'll come too. Now, what you're going to find out is this. According to what we're getting ready to look at, Lot believed God just like Abraham did. In other words, Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for what? Righteousness. And so did Lot. Lot was just as saved as Abraham was. By faith, he was saved just like Abraham was. But when you get to chapter 18 of Genesis, Lot's living in an ungodly city with no testimony at all. His testimony is so terrible he can't even get his family out. That's how bad his testimony is. So now, but now, we have to understand this in the context of what we're looking at, Right? So here's what happens. If you don't let God change you, then you will be unprofitable in being able to help others. Let's go back and look at that. It's in chapter 1. In chapter 1, it says this. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. Okay, it says, if these things abound in you, right? And charity is the last one. For if these things be in you, verse 8, and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's really the testimony of Abraham. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. That's Lot. Lot had been purged of his own sins, but you wouldn't know it to look at him. You wouldn't know it to be around him. He has a horrible testimony. But when God comes to pour out judgment upon the city and they want to, quote unquote, um, mishandle God, Lot is willing to put his life and his children's life at risk to rescue these men. Even though there's really nothing that anybody could have done to them. But he doesn't understand that, really. And the reason he doesn't understand that, by the way, Abraham understood it, right? These, 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 these angels from God had just talked to Abraham. What did Abraham do when they were talking? To, when they were talking? What did Abraham do when they said, we've come to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, but we came to get Lot and get him out first, right? And what, is, what does Abraham ask for? What does he ask for? Mercy. Would you rescue Sodom and Gomorrah? And this is the response. If there are 50 righteous in these cities, that's a lot. That's a lot of people. It's very low numbers, right? If there are 50 righteous, I'll spare the city. And we all know, right? And then he says, well, could I maybe ask for... What if there's not 50? 
I don't know if he's trying to think of Lot's testimony. He might not have led 50 people to Jesus. If it's 40, yep, we'll still rescue it. All the way down to, what's the number, by the way? 10. All the way down to 10. If there are 10 righteous souls in Sodom and Gomorrah, then I will, then I will leave them without judgment. And Lot, there aren't. Even if you count his family, there aren't. Now you tell me, listen, listen, this is really important. Because what this is saying in the context is this. False teaching will make you a terrible Christian. And if you're a terrible Christian, you're of no help to anybody else. You're still saved. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, we don't have time to look at it together this morning. We'll look at it more next week. In verse, um, in verse 7, I've got I to turn to verse 7. In verse 7, it says, and delivered, right? He's going, to, he's going to judge the ungodly, but he's going to deliver Lot. Just Lot. The word means righteous, by the way. It's used here, it's used in verse 8, and it's used in verse 9, and also godly is used in verse 9. So it says in, in, in these three verses, Lot is called righteous three times and godly once. Now you go back and read Genesis 18 and find out whether you think he's righteous and godly or not. Because if, if I had to preach Lot's funeral based upon the testimony of, of, of uh, what you see in, in Genesis 18, what I would, well, not just Genesis 18, what happens to his daughters afterwards? I don't even say it out loud, right? How embarrassing are his actions when I ask you not to say out loud what happens to his daughters after they're rescued from the city? How horrible is that? Think about it for just a minute, those of you who understand what I'm saying. Think about how horrible that is. What a tragic testimony that is. Why does that happen to him? Because he didn't have healthy growth in his life. And why didn't he have healthy growth? Because he lusted after the things of the city. He lusted, he lusted after the big time. He would rather, instead of living, by the way, very wealthy, out in the rural area, serving God, he lusted. Now, by the way, there's nothing wrong with, we all live in the Hampton Roads area. We all live in a, with basically two million people around us. But, it, but if it's living in you, you've got a problem. God purposes that you be where you are at work, where you are at school, in your neighborhood. He purposes you're meant to be a light in a dark place, but it's not supposed to be inside you. This worldliness that's going on around us. And by the way, let me, I want to make sure you understand this. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. Do you understand that? The, maybe we should spend more time praying than posting. Maybe, listen, you think about this in your life. Do you spend more time on your knees or on Facebook? And be honest about it. Maybe we should spend more time weeping than tweeting. Ooh, it got really quiet. Well, you guys were really excited a little while ago. Nobody's excited anymore. Do you understand? Listen, what's wrong with America? And this is what's wrong. If my people, which are called by my name, do you understand? Do you know where it goes from there? If they will humble themselves and pray, if they will cease from their wicked ways. Do you understand? The world is wicked. They're lost. They don't know other thing. We are not. And we know better. So, purpose to pray more than you post. Purpose to weep more than you tweet. And if I didn't get your flavor, you know, he's like, man, he didn't get to Instagram at all yet. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> This is why I don't like the name Specific Sins. It's like, well, he didn't tell my movie. He didn't say my movie at all. I'm all stay, you know. Understand the principle behind what God is saying here. 
Listen, I'll be honest with you. Let me think about this. Uh, you know, the latest, the latest thing to happen in an ungodly nation is that the state of New York just voted basically a minute before a baby's born, it can be aborted instead. Now, we all know that that's lunacy, but aborting any baby is lunacy. You understand? And so what's happened is now uh, Facebook has filled up with a somewhat righteous anger in a, in, a, in a very real sense. But how much prayer went into any of that? What do you suppose is going to affect the laws in our country more? Your angry post or some prayer? And by the way, when you post your angry post and, and someone who I know and love who made the grave sinful error of having an abortion, they're never going to talk to you ever again. Because you always made it clear, you already made it clear that as far as you're concerned, you're better than they are. Now you're not, and you know you're not, and that's not what you intended to do. But pray before you post. Be careful what you say. I'd love to go back and take back many words that I spoke to many people as a young Christian. I, virtue is a wonderful thing, and your life should be full of virtue. But make sure you speak the truth in love. Be careful how you say it, or you may not get a chance to say it again. And there are people who need to be rescued by Jesus, not you. You understand? And here's the thing. You know, I was, I was down at, uh, down at uh, Virginia Beach. And there were, there's a, I don't, I don't want to go into the details. There's a church in the area that's pretty well known. It was back, this was back in the 90s. Really well known for standing on the street corner and screaming at everybody, literally screaming at everybody that goes by. And there was a young man. And I walked down and I said to him, sir, could you please stop doing this? And he said, and he said, these are terrible sinners. And they need to know that judgment is coming. I said, I know, I agree with you. But I can't help them if they've heard you. Because now they're just, they just think everybody who is a Christian has the same vein popping out of their head anger that you have. It's not what God wants. It isn't what, yes, yes or no? The, the wrath of God, Romans, the wrath of God is revealed from where? Where? Anybody know? Heaven. Not the church. Heaven. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. See, they should see in our lives something completely different. Amen? Yes or no? You, get, you decide. You decide. You decide what's being said here. What he's saying is this. Lot had his righteous soul vexed by the wicked world around him, but he continued to live in it. Don't live in it. Don't. Don't live in it, but still love them. Abraham pleaded for them, didn't he? Yes or no? He pleaded for them. Lord, would you rescue them? I will rescue them. Their wickedness is terrible, though, Abraham. Well, what if there are 50 people who trust you? Will you rescue them? I will. I will. I'll rescue all of them that trust me, but I'll spare the city if there's 50, 40, 30, 20, if there's just 10. Listen, when a God who died for our sins says it's time for judgment, it's time for judgment. But remember, what, what, what did, uh, James and John, James and John are out preaching with Jesus, yes? They go to a city, and the city says, we want nothing to do with you. Right? And so they're leaving. And what did James and John say they should do? Well, they say, let's call down fire on them. That'll show them. They'd have been a good Baptist. Let's call fire down on them. And what did Jesus say to them? <laughs> you know not what manner of men you are. When they're stoning Stephen, what does he say? Lord, don't lay this to their charge. Lord, don't lay this to their charge. I know they're guilty. And I know they've got judgment coming, but don't judge them for what they do to me. God help us. And I mean it. God help us. You and I can have the righteousness that Abraham has and be the pleading for others kind of person that Abraham was. 
or we can get caught up in the, in the filth that's swirling all around us and act just like they do. God help us. God rescue us so that we can help him rescue them. Amen? Anyway, that's the introduction. We'll come back and we'll look at it more uh, next week. Father, thank you for your word.